Uh, today, as you all know, we have Kristen Radke, Jordan Crane, and here to introduce them is Libby Flores. She is a writer in her own right and a, the director of uh, literary programs at Penn Center USA. Thank you. Thank you guys for coming. I, I really appreciate it. We are here tonight to celebrate the LA launch of Kristen Radke's graphic memoir, which is beautiful, called Imagine Wanting Only This. I'm going to need to hear that really loud. Yes. Okay. Um, most of you know me, some of you know me, and um, but I, I know that you trust me and you trust my taste and you trust Skylight's taste, so you're in the right place. And I don't know if you know Jordan Crane's work, but it's beautiful, exquisite, and very poignant, and you're going to get to get a taste of both of them. Um, their books, sorry, uh, <laughs> shortly because we're going to have a reading. And if you've never been to a graphic novel or a memoir reading, this is a really fun experience. It's a visual experience, as you can imagine. So that's all the fun stuff there. So we're, I'm going to properly introduce them, and then we're going to have Jordan Crane read first. So Kristen Radke is a writer and illustrator based in Brooklyn. She's the managing editor of Sarah Band Books and the film and video editor of the Tri-Quarterly magazine. She holds an MFA from the University of Iowa's nonfiction writing program. Her illustrations have appeared in the New Yorker, Virginia Quarterly Review, Oxford American, The Daily Beast, and the Paris Review. Let's welcome Kristen to L.A. I almost said New York. Jordan Crane is an American cartoonist. He's best known for his graphic novella, The Last Lonely Saturday, his graphic novel, The Clouds Above, and his ongoing, ongoing solo anthology comic book series, Uptight, which I did have here, which I think they have here tonight. His illustrations have appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, McSweeney's, and elsewhere. Crane lives in Los Angeles, where he is completing his graphic novel, Keeping Two, which we're going to get a little preview of tonight, that will be published in 2018. So without further ado, Jordan, it's all you. There, it's on. Um, first, I want to say uh, thank you to, to uh, Kristen for having me, for having me tonight to uh, talk about her new book with her, and um, and I'm going to be reading uh, from Keeping Two, which kind of shares a uh, bit of a similar, you know, some similar themes. It's kind of uh, the ideas of loss and uh, you know the missing things in the world around us, uh, and. Uh, so just to set this up a little bit, this is an excerpt from the book. It's, it's going to be out in 2018, uh, like Libby said. Um, this, is, this, is a, this is a small excerpt. Uh, the whole graphic novel takes place in the space of one night, uh, and it's, uh, it's about this young couple, and they have an apartment together. Um, and then one night she, uh, she leaves to go to the grocery store, make a quick trip to pick up some groceries, and uh, he stays at home doing dishes, and uh, an hour passes, two hours passes, and she should have been home by now. Three hours, and she's not home yet, and he's here at this point in the uh, book. He's, uh, he's starting to wonder where she's at, and you know, he's having some you know, real bad thoughts about where she might be, or what might be happening. Um, so, uh, oh, uh, one more thing is uh, sort of the visual language of this, uh, this book it's it's pretty simple, but I, I just want to kind of explain it first. Is that a lot of the story 
takes place, like probably three quarters of it takes place like in people's thoughts. And uh, so the differentiation between you know the thoughts people are having and the uh, and what's actually happening in the world, the panels with black borders around them are happening in the world, and the thoughts they don't have any borders on them. So just to clarify that. Um, <clears throat> all right, so here we go. Oh, and I'm just gonna let you read it because a lot of it doesn't have words and uh, I'll just be, I'll kind of read along and I'll say the words when I get to them and you know, maybe you'll get to them at the same time. <laughs> anyway. Bye. Hi, hon. I can't find that one. We've already seen all the good ones. Tell me you got some ID for me. No, her wallet's gone. Click. Huh? What's that? Ah! Just keep walking. It's not working. 14, 15, breathe. She's lost too much blood. Oh. Hey, lady, excuse me. Christ. Splash. William McLean. Yes or no? <gasps> doop, doop. Gulp. Yes, that's her. <coughs> no. Doop, doop. Gulp. Three days of mail. Catalog, catalog, missing, donation, donation, missing, coupons, coupons, credit card, missing, catalog, pizza, missing, missing, abortions, credit, Chinese, Mexican, missing, fluff, clump, every day, everything I do, just as I always do, except now, there's no reason for any of it. Bing! 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 Tap, tap. I don't ever want to stop smoking. Never? I always thought one day I'd quit. This morning, I was paralyzed in my bed, the radio on and sunlight through the trees. My whole day was colored gold because of it. I'm driving down Friday night. We'll have two days and two nights, and on Sunday you're gone again. It's torture. All week long I'm being devoured. Let's live together. All we have is the rest of our lives, and we shouldn't be apart. It's just a waste of time. Doop, doop. Are you still there? You're asleep. Soon. Now? Soon. Soon. We'll find our place. Meow. 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 Right now, the rest of our lives seems like a long time. But it isn't. The sooner we live together, the more time we have, 
those quick. Oh, for Christ's sakes. Clunk. Sip. Blink. Hi, can you page someone for me? Connie Farrell. Yes, sir. One moment. Please hold. Paging Connie Farrell. Please report to the front desk. Call for you. Can she return your call at this number? It's okay. I'll hold. No, sir. I must keep this line open. Thank you. But, hello? Click. After that day, her eyes never sat on this wall again or looked through this window. And her hands never turned this knob or lifted this. And her feet never and her ears and her fingers her hair and neck legs lips never never again not ever never thank you Kristen Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for reading with me. You do sound effects better than like anyone I've ever <laughs> met in my life. Okay. Try to do a thing with the chords here. Okay. So sometimes this iPad thingy doesn't work, in which case um, I might ask you to move the slides and I'll read from the book. Okay. But hopefully it will. Um, this is a book about an obsession with ruins and abandoned cities and it starts uh, I'll read from early in the book when I was a college student and a very insufferable young artist in Chicago the photography department was down the hall from Andrew's painting studio I loved the way everything looked in the dark room, smoothed and forgiven, and the sound of it, enclosed and somehow secret, atop the trickle of cold water and chemicals I touched so compulsively that the skin began peeling from my palms. It was there that a classmate told me about Gary, Indiana. We left for Gary around 5 a.m. Well, it's safe, we'd been told. Andrew and I were sophomores in college, used to sleeping into the afternoon. Dawn felt ridiculous. When settlers came to the Midwest, they wove their villages around southeastern Indiana, forming a perimeter encircling the hostile terrain they found there. Indiana was a place where you could drown and dry up at once, sand dunes threaded through swamp. So the land sat empty until 1906, when U.S. Steel bought the 8,000 acres no one wanted. Shipping was simple on the Great Lakes. Railroads could bring ore from Minnesota and coal from almost anywhere. They called Gary, Indiana, the city of the century. The main attraction for us was an aban abandoned cathedral near the city center. 
We pulled ourselves up from the snarled foliage of the courtyard and through the stone arches where the walls had fallen, stepping around thick chunks of plaster maced beneath the collapsing ceiling of the sacristy. The stained glass was still intact below the rafters, too high for rocks or looters. The tarnished petals of a shattered organ lay in the corner, its broken keys like piles of pulled teeth. I imagined the mold-smeared photographs pinned in rows on a gallery's white walls with a video projected across them, some hollow sound we'd record and manipulate. That night, we drank bitter red wine out of mason jars as we compared footage from Gary. We smoked clove cigarettes and thought they made us look sexy. A few days after Andrew and I went to Gary, I found something online about the photographs we took from the cathedral. Local Indiana newspapers reported that a man named Seth Thomas was hit on the Norfolk Southern Railroad line just outside Gary in 2006. Seth wanted to be a photographer, taking panoramic and wide-angle shots of decay, and he called himself an urban explorer. His camera was found, shattered, near his body. So he was taking a picture of the train, the people who knew Seth Thomas insisted, not jumping in front of it. Eight days after he stood on the tracks, held the camera to his face, and felt or did not feel the train pull his body apart, his friends hosted a memorial service in the abandoned City Methodist Church, his favorite place to photograph. They sealed his pictures tightly in Ziploc bags and spread his ashes. I didn't think about Seth for years, not really, until I was 22 and living in a small Iowa town. The man on the video talked about the train, the memorial in the church, the shrine they built for Seth there. Choppy clips of Seth played at a speed lower than they were filmed, the light pulsing like an old movie projected from a reel across an uneven wall. His face was always obscured, Seth in a baseball cap snapping shots of a lumberyard from a bridge, Seth on a rooftop looking below. The screen froze on the last photo he took, recovered from the memory chip of his smashed camera. I spent weeks trying to find pieces of him in databases and search engines, but never considered contacting anyone, knowing the dust I blew from the surface of the Ziploc bags that held his decaying photographs was likely the ashes his friends had scattered. Instead, I downloaded a picture from Seth's archive. I stare at the picture for a long time, drawing conclusions that are not mine to draw. Ruins are often born in the wake of stasis. That's easy enough to sense. 
Maybe, I thought, being stuck is what killed Seth. He remained so firmly rooted to that block of Indiana that he was run over by it. Iowa was a place I began leaving constantly to seek out and crawl through gutted mining towns and looted industrial buildings, bombed out barracks and contaminated environmental zones in countries whose languages I couldn't speak, places that excrete warnings of the wars and quakes and depressions they've witnessed. Native Iowans told me about the dangers of all the state's rivers, the flat and modified land that flooded a year before I arrived and formed lakes, roof peaks shutting from the surface like coastal boulders and forming currents across roads, the moldy basements when the water drained the closest thing they had to ruins. Some nights I pulled up the hem of my clothes and clawed at my skin, searching for signs that I was becoming one. I watched the river out my window, and I willed the stagnant water to prove it. Thanks. Thank you both. It's beautiful to hear it in your voice. It really is. Um, so now we're going to sit up here and have the conversation portion. I will say as a housekeeping note, Brooke Julian, where are you? She makes the best cookies in the world. She made them for us tonight, for you too. So, and there's and there's wine and there's wonderful things. So, Brookie's cookies, give it up. Okay. Yeah, you're. Hello. So I want to talk a little bit uh, with you both about how you found these stories. Um, and then that will sort of lead me into my second question of sort of a, a theme, if you guys aren't sensing a theme between the two narratives. But it, I think it might be nice to, to be hear sort of like an origin story. I think we Yeah. You go first. Um, oh, an, an origin story for... Uh, that makes it sound really long. It can just be, you know, any size you wish. Um, well, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, the origin story is, is really, you know, pretty, pretty simple. I, I tend to have a lot of really uh, kind of negative thoughts about the world, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> Um, and, you know, it, it's not how, it doesn't mean they actually play out, and it doesn't mean, you know, the world actually ends up being like that, um, or, you know, the way I see it turning out. Um, but I, yeah, there's, they're kind of entertaining, in a way, I guess is why I, I not entertaining, but, but they, they, spooling out the present to, towards the future and, you know, trying to see what that becomes it causes a lot of anxiety for me, but I think it also uh, creates it's yeah it's it's fertile ground for for stories, um, and I think that's probably where a lot of stories maybe originated for a lot of other people too. Um, and uh, and uh, you know, even if the whole thing doesn't necessarily hold together, it's still I think by virtue of the fact that often the way we spool out the future is drawing on the past, um, there are often, you know, elements of it that, that do turn out to be accurate, you know, when we look forward. So, um, basically just, I kind of 
started working with that as a, uh, you know, and, and it's sort of a microcosm of that. You know, one evening, one small stretch of like four or five hours, and how many things go through a person's mind in a small amount of time. You know, you, you go on an epic journey for a, a small period of time, and I just wanted to explore that. So I think that's you know, great. Origin. Um, I, I first of all, I forgot to say that I love this bookstore so much, and I'm really happy to be here. And thank you all for coming. And Libby is amazing, and she's such a force. And so I'm really happy to be here. No big deal. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so I went to art school. I mean, I was like always the person who was like failing algebra because I was drawing in class and had you know, like limited limited skills. Went to art school. And then went to graduate school for writing and was doing them separately. And it took me forever to realize that I could do them both at the same time. But with the project itself, I was just always writing about, like, sort of hidden histories and aftermath and um, abandoned places. And I didn't recognize at all that they were part of a, of a book until someone was like, hello. And then it sort of was a very arduous process from there of... Of moving through it, and then giving in when my publisher told me it had to be a memoir. Just curious for all the writers out there, how long from start to finish? I that, I feel like that's the hardest question ever because I feel like first books are sort of your whole life. Like I feel like I there was like this need to put in like everything I'd ever felt, and um, but I I would say like sort of consciously five years. Mm. Yeah. There's, there's hope. Uh, so this is sort of like thematically, like I said, I'm, I'm reading both of your books. Um, and just full disclosure, Jordan gave us, gave us a sneak peek. So what you saw was a little bit. So we saw like, I don't know, like 218 pages of Keeping Two. Um, so that's great. Um, and so when I'm reading them both, I'm thinking you've both confronted grief in totally different ways. Uh, Jordan, there's three characters, and correct me if I'm wrong, that die or disappear. So you saw the woman that went to the grocery store. There's an infant that dies. And Kristen, you confront the loss of a beloved uncle, and I would say a loss of a relationship, mm-hmm. too. And so I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, like, once you've decided on this theme or once you kind of know you're writing towards this, as far as, like, writing and illustrating, this, did you know how this was going to look? And what made me think about it was, like, Kristen, you would also, in a, in a large frame, you're very small sometimes. Mm-hmm. And with Jordan, like with you, when you, for the infant, when the mother's in her deepest grief, the child shows up as an outline. And so, like, I think we were seeing the woman as an outline. So can you just talk about sort of how that, that comes to? Yeah, um, that's a that's a really I think probably Jordan can speak to this better than I can because part part of the process of this book was just teaching myself how to draw cartoons and so I just did it in the way that was most natural to me so I think it wasn't towards the end that I thought well what if I try these certain things I mean mm-hmm. the, for me the the first year of writing this book was about asking myself like what am I allowed to do in this medium mm-hmm. and and then sort of I gave you know into to trying new things but you know talking about drawing grief there's something very strange about it and I think it you know I mean I had to, to draw a, a number of times someone who I who loved very much who mm-hmm. was dead and thinking about you know what do his ears look like what do his hands look like things like this you sort of have to consider a person in a way that you probably wouldn't normally mm-hmm. and I think it keeps you in that grief space for like 
way longer than than you would normally be for me at least mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I mean one of the things I liked one of the things I liked is that you uh, when you were writing about you know somebody who was very dear to you um, you you uh, you wrote about more the life of the person rather than their uh, you know your grief yeah. specifically you know but it's the grief kind of comes through and the sort of longing and the missing um, really comes through because of you know your clarity on his life yeah. you know mm-hmm. I thought that worked really well Thanks. Um, and Jordan yeah. just to, to speak to that the dotted outline piece oh, yeah. was that always like an intention there for for those lost people there's yeah well I mean the, t- the two kind of biggest things in the language of uh, the visual language of this book uh, the two sort of things that when I was starting out I had I struggled with a lot, and I mean, they, they both have really uh, obvious answers, but, um, and, and they seem so simple, but I guess, you know, the, that probably shows that they're a decent answer to it, but was showing how, you know, showing people missing and showing people's thoughts, you know, because um, I really wanted to, you know, kind of go into one as they think through something, um, and, uh, and yeah, so the dotted outline, I mean, you know, we've all cut coupons out, you know, it's just, I was yeah. dotted, and it, you know, visually it's, yeah. it, it has a nice feel to it, and uh, so, you know, it, 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 it communicates that in a very kind of cartoony way that is simple and direct. Right. You know? Well, it's powerful because it's not continuous. Like, we don't see Dan all the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We get flashes and pieces of him, um, and, and like Jordan's saying, like, really, really important details, like the things that you're going to carry through. Um, and I think that if in every frame the infant was outlined, it would have that less power. So I think there's something very potent about the way you guys carry grief through both of your books. Um, so I have one more sort of combined question and then we're just going to start darting questions at you. Okay, awesome. Uh, so the other theme here is how we find logic in loss, like how we make sense of it, how the human brain is like, I'm going to figure this out. And that's sort of illustrated in how you go into figuring out the heart disease piece mm-hmm. and like doing the research. That is also, that's how her uncle passes away. He has a, a genitive um, heart defect. And so there's a lot of like, I'm going to, to figure this out. And I, I even think visiting the ruins in a way is a sort of making sense of that, like making sense of what's gone. And then Jordan, like there's that loop, you know, like where you're saying that people are having these dream moments and, um, okay, um, having these dream moments and there's sort of like this repetitive thinking where that, that thought is like, I'm going to make sense of this. I'm going to sort of return to this. Um, that's scary. Okay. Um, so, so you know, I'm trying to trying to kind of when I saw both of those happen in both of your books, um, what I understood there was sort of like here are two people in some ways trying to make sense of grief, so trying to make sense of loss, which is an unbelievably human thing to do, and in such an interesting way too. And can you speak to to kind of looking at that, or if you noticed that in that when you were drawing that narrative? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, writing essays or writing nonfiction, I mean, these, this, I wrote this book sort of as a collection of essays and then reworked it as more of a continuous narrative. But for me, I think, and for a lot of, 
essays and essayists were all working to sort of drive something out or to make mm-hmm. sense of something. And I don't feel like I, I came to any conclusions at the end, which certain reviewers have taken issue with. <laughs> but... Um, but I, you know, I was sort of just interested in having an exploration and sort of, you know, you know, leaving a drift in the way that I still was, in the way that, you know, many readers are. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And also, just like we get further into your brain. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So I think that, like, even like she calls doctors to sort of get get an idea of sort of getting more information that isn't can't be found in a study. And she's like, I'm a reporter. Do you know what I mean? It tells a lot about who you are, but also you seek out all these obscure places where most people wouldn't want to be. That most people would be frightened to be, like an abandoned church, and abandoned homes, abandoned cities. So I think that was like also a nice t- way to like just slowly reveal you as a character. It's weird to talk about you as a character, but it's you. Um, Jordan, were you going to say something? Um, Well, speak to that. I I mean, one of the things I thought was interesting was how you uh, you use this person as kind of a placeholder for uh, for how a a human becomes a ruin, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and uh, and it created this resonance where you know when you're exploring actual you know like physical ruins that it it you know it. It talks. It speaks to about people as well, you know. And um, but you know, like I said, since you weren't really, it was just it, it was just because he was there and you were bringing it up. It wasn't something you ever actually underlined and yeah. said like, look, you know, people become ruins too. You know, right. it was just. But it was this kind of uh, the harmony of the ideas just kind of floating there. You know, brought a you know particularly like poignancy to. Mm-hmm. You know, made the ruins human. I guess you know. Um sort of kind of, this is more of like an origin idea or question. So I read somewhere that you were like, so the history and the ruins part and the sort of, all of those elements were, are sort of in place. You were saying you were writing essays about this and the personal part, which is her uncle and the other, some other, and the relationship and the way her sort of, I mean, every chapter is a chapter, you know, in, in order of your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that came later, mm-hmm. like the personal pieces. Yeah. Can you talk about approaching that as the secondary thing or were you afraid of that? Was that scarier to write about? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'll ever do it again. I mean, like, I will never, <laughs> I, I was so, unco- I mean, I drew myself probably 500 times in this book, like that it's, an absurd thing to do. I, I will never do it again. But um, my editors were pretty insistent about it, and I, you know, I basically my agent had sent them a collection of graphic essays, and they said we wanted if she will make it a memoir. And I thought about this for a while, but the the way that it was, I mean, Dan Frank, who's the editor in chief of Pantheon, who's edited, you know. Art Spiegelman and Marjane Satrapi and uh, Chris Ware and Charles Burns and so many amazing comics artists. He he really did understand the project and the need for a visual guide. Mm-hmm. And I mean, basically, what I had sent them was a graphic novel that contained like no almost no people. And he was like, "Well, we need some people." Wait, so it was just the room. No, I mean, like there was you know there was. Yeah, I was, but I was writing a lot about history. A lot of the history stuff mm-hmm. got cut, and it was really hard to draw history because I didn't have photos to look at, and I um, to reconstruct scenes felt very difficult, and um, I was concerned about getting them right. And I think that they were they were right that they needed a visual guide to like a visual character to pull us through because that's how we read comics. We read them through characters that are recognizable to us. So, um, in the end, I think it made sense, but it was, um, I think 
especially in grad school, we have the sort of this, which I was just coming out of, they, we have this sort of like negative association with the word memoir, which is silly. But I think, it, you know, it's like sort of a feminized ter- term and it's seen as somehow less serious than, than essays. Um, so I think because I was it really just, happened. Yeah, yeah, or it's because it's about yourself, or it's, it must be more emotional and less intellectual, or right. you know, a whole a whole slew of reasons. Mm-hmm. But it's just a it's just a marketing term. Like, yeah. who cares really what it's called? Were there were there books were there memoirs that you looked at when you were in that space when you're like okay this personal element's coming through that you look to for inspiration? Yeah, like you know the obvious ones like Alison Bechtel. Um, Art Spiegelman, Marjane Satrapi, mm-hmm. sort of the like the famous mm-hmm. graphic memoirs. I think were my first access point to them because I had not read a lot of graphic nonfiction. And then just text only, like just a yeah. traditional memoir. Did you read any? Yeah, I read a lot of essay collections. I mean, that's still my probably my favorite thing to read and book length. Non- I, that's hard to say. I love it. I love a lot of different genres, but. Um, I yeah. think you said. I heard you say Joan Didion. I mean, Joan Didion. I, I, I hate. I'm so sick of saying Joan Didion because okay. everyone's like, "Well, duh." You guys like Joan Didion, yeah. right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I mean, there's nobody. There's no. There's nobody like Joan Didion. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Do you have a? I was gonna. Just... Oh, I, I mean, I was just when you said it was really difficult drawing yourself yeah. over. I mean, that was. Uh, because you know when I was when I'm doing keeping two, it's more or less about you know it starts with sort of it being about me, but right. but early, not a, it's my experiences you know. But early on, one of the only ways I found I could like write about it yeah. is mm-hmm. to make that not me, yeah. you know, to like separate like oh it's not I can't write about myself because then, yeah. but in doing so I'm able to sort of was able to kind of step back and, and, and have more sort of liberty with what's going on yeah. rather than thinking, you know, it's really hard to draw yourself. You know? It is, but it's also, it's hard in a, it's hard in a, not in a technical way because I think it's so, like, you're always there sure. when you're drawing, so yeah. you're, you can you're always be a model. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that, that's really how I think I learned how to draw people in a cartoon, cartoony way was by looking at myself because you know you can only ask your friends to come over and sit around for so long um so so I think that in that way it's easy but then it's also this it, it's hard because it's the especially when it's nonfiction. it's like you're putting a drawing of yourself out there and you're saying not only is this what I look like but you're also saying this is how I see myself right, right. and then you're opening yourself up to all kinds of criticism mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. And that's that's you know that's hard, but you did yeah. it. You know, it's, I mean, it's it's a it's a tough thing yeah. to go through. You know, yeah. just kind of to sort of full disclosure. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And you went to art school, so you had some like still you had some experience. Yeah, but it was there, like yeah. you know like charcoal drawings of you know, and right. it's like never any nothing that was helpful yeah, in, in this any space. way. Yeah. 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 Can I can I ask what like what was your what was your approach to like with the with the how did you pair the words in the pictures? Like, what was it? Did you did you start out? Because um, you said you start you had some, some essays yeah. that you had written. Yeah. Um, did you start out with those and and you know approach it like illustrating the essays and like you know was there a point when the two started you know talking to one another? Yeah. You know, kind of. Yeah. At first, I was just trying to translate the text into images and like putting huge chunks of text over like small images which didn't didn't work but I was also just so 
I was so new to drawing comics that it was just so overwhelming to draw anything. So I was like, what's the first thing I can think of? That's what I'll draw. And then I'll move on to the next square. And it was just sort of this anxiety of like, I need to fill this up because this is taking so long. I just need to fill this blank square. And mm. and then you go back and you expand things and you get more comfortable and you... Like, basically my... my um, sort of policy in the end is if I can say it with a drawing, I say it with a drawing and not with text. And if I can't, mm-hmm. then I use text. But it, I think it's much better when, the, I don't know how you feel, but when the when it works sort of at the same time. Like sometimes I'll draw a very short, or write out a very short like script and then, or sometimes the image will come first. But when I move back and forth between the two, I think the scenes are better. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That was one of my questions on here. Uh, does does illustrating does it make you a better writer? I don't know. I think maybe it makes you a, a worse writer. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I I certainly can't. Uh, it's really hard for me to put my thoughts into words. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can do it, mm-hmm. but man, it's you really. It's it's a totally different brain space. Yeah. Whereas I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I can't separate the words and the pictures, you know? It's hard for me to just draw a picture and be like, oh, that's what's happening. Yeah. But when, mm-hmm. you know, you have a word and a picture, like, the two make mm-hmm. a, a kind of third resonance yeah. that that, uh, that kind of can communicate mm-hmm. in a way yeah. that I can't do with words as easily. Yeah. <laughs> I also just think you get used to drawing and then writing, beca- like, and, and you can get away with writing so much less when you're drawing as well. Mm-hmm. And writing is... I mean, for me, writing is much harder than drawing, but drawing takes more time because it's just so laborious. But it takes forever. But you're, you know... know, That's the thing. Like, if you could actually write it all out, like, you'd be done. You'd be done. In, like, a year. Yeah. You'd be like, psh, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. But it would be, like, horrible. It would be a horrible experience. (laughs) (laughs) Because writing is... You know, you have to be, like, fresh and present. And, like, I can come home from a long day and sit down and draw and be, like have some wine and like you know I'll be fine but if I were to do that when I was writing I mean it would just be I just probably wouldn't do it and you can motivate yourself to draw and like be like I'll just put on like Law and Order SVU in the background and like listen to that while I draw and it's sort of you know you can just like get yourself through that space um, when you need to I mean I think coming up with the idea of what to draw and mapping it out takes a lot of intellectual work but then once you can see it in your mind it's just execution Mm -hmm. for me yeah I mean I I go back and forth like sometimes I can, uh, you know, I can, like, listen to stories. Yeah. Like, I love, listen, I mean, it's great to, like, the perfect place is to be in front of a drawing board with, like, a book on tape and yeah. just kind of go for yeah. it. But I'm finding later, you know, more and more frequently, it's really hard for me to listen or mm-hmm. do anything else when I'm drawing. Um, I don't know if that's just because I'm getting older <laughs> and I don't, I can't split my attention yeah. or... Um, I'm not exactly sure, but like it's it's a uh, it's really hard for me to like to yeah. separate. And so unfortunately, that means that it's you know I need to have more. Uh, I can't do as many things. You know, yeah. I can't like uh, I can't never watch TV when yeah. I'm drawing. Like yeah. I just watch TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just to kind of introduce the idea. I mean, it's clearly an obsession of yours. Abandoned places and ruins and 
um, I got really, I went down a rabbit hole too. Like you've kind of made me a little obsessed with this. Um, and there's this thing called runophilia. Mm-hmm. This is a thing. So it's a fascination for runes. And it it's throughout the book. And one sort of, I was trying to think of like, how can we really, for people who haven't spent time in the book, like one sort of great example of this in the book is that she goes to Italy to get away from everything and and to visit some ruins and so but in Italy uh, they're they're all roped off and they're polished and they're security guards and it's like they're guiding you through this sort of sacred space and it's in the book I think you actually there's a scene where you write it down and you say I'm so lonely um, and there's then you spend the rest of the, your time in a room like in your hotel room or what have you just looking up online pictures of runes. And so like that to me kind of, I was like that kind of perfectly uh, says the the point of view of, of where you're at. And can you kind of talk about where that comes from because it's deep and like, and also, I mean, my question sort of thinking about that scene was, do you think part of being like a true ruin is it has to be abandoned? Like it can't be displayed and taken care of in that way or housed. Yeah, that's a good question. So the, the part, so I wish that I had just been on a trip and I was just in a hotel room, but I did that for a year in Italy. Oh. Um, <laughs> I was, I was, na- I was like nannying, and then at night I'd just oh, be yeah. like, "You were there first, you, spell. yeah." Looking up like yeah. Pripyat, Ukraine, like what's going on there? <laughs> and um, I don't know what it. I don't know. I think it's a really co- common fascination. I think like I mean, all you have to do is type "ruin porn" or yeah. um, you know, "abandoned places" or whatever into Google Images, and you'll there'll be just like a bajillion. Like it's a whole. I did it. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, people it's are, it's a, it, totally fascinated in a way that is sometimes really uh, dangerous in terms of the way that certain places mm-hmm. are um, completely misunderstood. Like, I think the way that Detroit has been portrayed has been, oh, per, like, horribly unethical. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't totally know. I think for me, mod- contemporary ruins are, are so much more interesting to me than sort of, you know, I mean, like, we can look at the Acropolis or the Parthenon or the Colosseum and sort of marvel at it in these ways, and it can seem so separate from the life that we have now. But if mm-hmm. we see something, you know, from 50 years ago or that looks sort of like the town that we grew up in and that's empty too, that's sort of when, like, the questions mm-hmm. of mortality come in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's more haunting, and there's yeah. there's a realness there that's... Yeah. That would frighten a lot of people yeah. that they wouldn't want to look at that. Yeah. Um, Jordan, did you? Yeah. So um, one of the favorite ruins of mine in this book was it wasn't actually ruins. It was this, uh, and it, this this particular part of the book felt chillingly prescient. Um, it was very timely, and uh, so there's these. Uh, where are they? At the, uh, Utah. Utah. Yeah. So there's. <clears throat> these military bases where in Utah they would they, they built just tons of houses houses and they were furnished and so it's like this sort of brand new but no people were living in there because this is like a, a you know it's, it's a testing base and so there's no people living there and so it's like these you get this kind of meta ruin where it's this brand new uninhabited ghost town and uh and then you know you, you you sort of tie this together with uh, a fire that had taken place near the Great Lakes in Peshtigo, Wisconsin. Yeah, in Wisconsin. Yeah, and um, how the military was studying this fire because it was it was, it was an unusual uh, fire in that there you know this sort of circular firestorm was created where you know just 
you had this, you know, just almost rain of fire or kind of this, this cloud or tornado of fire just like moving through this town, just burning everything. And the military then studies this to go, oh, how can we reproduce this? They create these incendiary bombs and then they use this, this entirely vacant city. I mean, with, with full, like they, they actually put like furniture in all of the... Yeah, I mean, this was this is like some of the most horrifying research I've ever done. So they so the fire you're talking about is uh, in Peshtigo, Wisconsin. It was the deadliest fire in American history. It happens on the same day as the, as the Chicago fire. Um, the It killed like 3,000 people, whereas the Chicago fire killed less than 300. It burned a million acres of land. The fire was so intense, it jumped across like Michigan, lit Michigan on fire. Um, like the sky was literally on fire. It was, it's like completely horrific. And then by the time that like the fire was over some people tried to send for help but the telegraph lines were down and so all of the state officials had gone to chicago to offer their help and everyone just sort of died slowly for weeks um horrifying then the government during world war ii is like hmm recall do you recall this horrible thing that happened how can we sort of create firebombs that do the same thing and so then they built villages like those reminiscent or identical to those in Dresden and Tokyo. They flew in um, furniture and, like, wall coverings and everything to make it exactly like it would be. And, I mean, they had cribs built, like, out of the same exact wood that would have been used in Germany. And then they, they dropped bombs over and over and over again to see how fast they could make it burn. So. And the thing is, like, when you look at uh, and so so again you know talking about civilization in terms of a human you know or, or uh, you know relating this back to a human body, um, and you know when the human body starts killing itself mm-hmm. basically, this uh, this particular town then becomes you know this this kind of study in how you know so they build this ruin but then they're building this ruin in order to create more in order to figure out how to most efficiently create more spaces in this planet that are ruins, yeah. you know. And, uh, you know, that's where it starts really kind of doing this double wavelength yeah. of, you know, magnifying, you know, the the, uh, the speed of yeah. the creation of yeah. nothing, yeah. you know, which is... is totally terrifying (laughs) and you know and then of course you know reading this in 2017 it really kind of makes me choke on my drink (laughs) (laughs) we're just here to lift you up yeah (laughs) um i think we'll do maybe one more question and open it up to you guys there's more drinks and fun and signing and book buying to be had. Which is um, to say it's beautiful. I mean, I don't need to... Yes, no, it I is mean, beautiful. I, it was, I mean, I just, it was many levels of... Yeah, I mean, the juxtaposition of what you found and the histories of what you found and the way you've had, you walk us through them, it's exquisite. I mean, it's, it's gorgeous looking and horrifying simultaneously, yeah. which is sometimes people's favorite. Um, 
So uh, I, I was like, oh, okay. So there seems to be a dichotomy between the idea of permanence and loss of place. So that's sort of like kind of rounding through the, the ruins piece. Um, and I posted it today, so no, everybody knows this, but uh, that knows me here. But my two favorite lines in the book that I felt like I just, I just stopped on that page, and both of your books made me cry. So I don't know if that says more about you or me, but, um, but that this page was gorgeous. And the two lines are, I didn't want to sit still, but I didn't want to lose anything either. I wanted to gather more without giving anything up. And that sort of brought me to a place in the book where it's interesting because the book kind of releases you into these spaces and then holds you in these spaces. And then emotively, it propels you out I won't give away the ending, but in a way at the end that is just, it makes it feel kind of enormous and grand and, you know, I'm not going to say any other adjectives because uh, you decide yourself, but I like the ending. Um, so well, I guess my question is in those lines and in that holding and letting go, even internally as, a, as a yourself, as this character, um, what is, did you, were you sort of aware of that tension? Were you aware of that push-pull? Were you aware of that, like, in layman's turn, should I stay or should I go? You know, like, because it kind of kept occurring as you were leaving places and going places. Yeah. I don't know if I was aware of it, really, in the writing of the book, as much as it is just, like, how I feel every day. Yeah. And you know, I think it's a really common feeling, especially for people who move around a lot. Um, or who feels often disconnected from where they are. And so I think it was, I sort of, I've gone through a lot of phases where I have this, f like, frantic phase where I just want to, like, grab everything I can. And I think that was propel a sort of restlessness that probably propelled most of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Great. And then, Jordan, if you had a closing question or well, anything? I, I just, uh, I mean, in that sort of gathering, you know, where you, you have this compulsion to go out and, and, and see all the ruins mm -hmm. before... You know they're going to be there for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're not going anywhere. Well, but but you know that's the thing. Maybe you are. You know, and that's that's I guess the kind of scary thing yeah. about being you know right. sort of human as opposed to these ruins, which are you know they're there. But but to to talk to that compulsion of wanting to see it before mm -hmm. you know whatever it's gone, you're gone, whatever happens. Uh, I, it reminded me, you know, I've had several friends of mine go, you know, say, oh, I'm taking a cruise. We're going to go up and we're going to see the, uh, the, all of the, you know, icebergs in Alaska. You know, we're going to go up and watch them crumble. And, As you know. contribute to it with their boat. Right, exactly. Pretty much. <laughs> but, um, but that's sort of, you know, that's, that's just kind of, you know, that, that struck me as like, well, there's, you know, there's a sort of environmental ruin uh, tourism that's, Going. Yeah, I think it seems Lonely, to be going Lonely on Planet, right now. I think, has a book or one of those, one of those travel companies that's like 500 places to see before they disappear or something. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's you know an interesting yeah right. Yeah. By having the tourist industry around mm -hmm. it, it's just you know another sort of, uh, it's another aspect of why they're going away in the right. first place. You know. Um, yeah. And, you know, how do we? How are we going to be civilization without becoming a ruin? Is you know really? We won't. I don't. <laughs> My book literally ends with the apocalypse, so yeah, we know where Spoiler I stand. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess I okay. Fine, I have one last question. So, uh, sort of, you know, the the 
the compulsion to see these places and to search them out and to find new places and and spending a lot of time drawing these places and are you cured of rune ophelia I'm, i don't, i don't want to think about ruins again for like a really long awesome. time like <laughs> i don't want to i'm totally i feel totally done and, and every like i feel like every time i give a reading someone's like oh you have to go see this place and i'm like yeah mm-hmm. and i just like but i don't know i think i, I think i did that when i came. <laughs> no but you it was a place that i legit it's very i mean sure it's very beautiful but um I don't know I think I, I don't know how most people feel after you know spending mm. I mean I this was this book was like 1400 drawings like I'm it's just it like there's just no better way to drive something out of you than to yeah. spend that much time doing yeah thinking about that thing so maybe you're cured of it but you still think like disastrous thoughts yeah I mean don't we cool. are we all thinking disastrous yes. thoughts right now yeah, I'm going to answer yeah. for you guys. Okay, um, I had this other question about Don DeLillo and garbage and underworld, but I'll just ask you that privately. Um, okay, guys, so it's on you now. Questions? Yes. Yes. No. Yes. You. <laughs> you mentioned this is actually more of a comment, but you mentioned. Um, that sometimes if you don't, if you can say it in the picture, you don't have to say it in mm-hmm. words. But the thing that I loved about this book, one of the many things I loved about this book, was the fact that oftentimes you use words and not pictures. Mm-hmm. And you did that mostly in the Tashtigo fire. Mm-hmm. This idea that, you know, burning horses were, you know, all they had left was their, yeah. their, their clothes. Yeah. And that's one of the things I really loved about this. So sometimes you use pictures when you absolutely have to, but there's these moments that made me fill in the in the gaps with my own mind. Hmm. It was scarier than anything that could have been drawn. You mentioned like people um, escaping by jumping underwater yeah. and then coming up for air every few every few minutes. Like that yeah. was absolutely horrifying. Yeah. Book, even though it, it, it has pictures, it really taps into that empty space that we can fill. Yeah. Um, with our own horrific. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That's really nice. Yeah, I I feel like I only wrote those though because I just didn't know how to draw a horse that was on fire. Like, but I love that that it worked. You know, I mean, I think sometimes it's just like, especially when I was doing the history things, the history sections, I just was so. I mean, Joe Sacco like talked about this when he wrote his book, The Great War, and he was, was talking about how he felt like it was his most his biggest failure of a book because he didn't have photos to work from, and he was like, I think the explosions were wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's a very it's a very beautiful book, but I think I had a lot of anxiety about how to draw those things that I couldn't picture at all mm-hmm. yeah so thanks for saying so <laughs> I, I just wanted to say about that uh that fire there's another uh the it's annie pruel i believe is how you pronounce um her most recent book bark skins mm. has uh it's all about you know kind of lumber or the timber industry throughout yeah. like 400 years and um there's a there's a fire scene in sequence much yeah. you know like this yeah. st- a, obliterating fire and that's um you know there's a scene where you know somebody lives through it by going underwater and like you know kind of surviving and it's 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 good you know and that i guess no picture no pictures (laughs) at all but uh um yeah i saw a hand back there yeah you yeah i'm curious i wrote the book um excited to talking about a lot of uh terrifying horrifying things yeah. It 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 is a line from the book. Um, I think it's it's sort of, uh, for for me it came out of this 
uh, abandoned, not abandoned at all. I don't know why I said abandoned. I just say that a lot. We've just been saying. Yeah. <laughs> this town, this island off the coast of Iceland, which was covered entirely in volcanic ash. And after the, all of the ash had dried and the lava had dried, most of the inhabitants of the island came back and rebuilt the town on the other side of the island. And I just thought that was the most extraordinary thing, to sort of love someplace enough to want to stay. And I was sort of, you know, I think a lot of the restlessness that I felt when I was writing this book was sort of a, just a hope that I could sort of want to claim something sort of that ferociously for myself. It's another beautiful page when you get to it. Thanks. Um, oh, yeah. KK. I this selection that you chose and mm-hmm. the way in which you displayed it was really fantastic. Thanks. Thank um, but I was wondering uh, finding the finding the memorial and, and then sort of what appears to be from the selection was that you punished yourself or you criticized yourself for you know what you deemed what it appears you deemed as being careless mm-hmm. or thoughtless. Did you, for a moment, did you ever, and I, I haven't yet read the book, yeah. but did you move into, at any point, move into a more fatalistic space where you were thinking, do you know, as a part of the great cosmic experience, I am a piece of it with this guy Seth, mm-hmm. and then I came, and now I'm continuing the story of this memorial, and it's all a piece of some cosmic mystery. Yeah. Did you uh, that, that was free from criticism, free from uh, you know considering yourself to the thoughtless or whatever? Yeah. Did you ever have it inhabit that space? Yeah, I think so. Although I think that probably there's no writer, especially a writer writing about themselves, who feels free from criticism at any moment when they're writing. Um, but yeah, I think that was sort of the conclusion I tried to push myself towards, for sure. Yeah. And the, they're kind of, I find them to be a magical object in your story. So they reoccur and they tell they tell a lot about her, of you. Jeez. A lot about you. Do you know what I mean? Like the, well, I won't tell you what happens to them. Um, I think I think also the the way I, w- I I read the the photos was you know you talk about ruins coming from stasis mm. and um, those photos were in stasis before mm. you unearthed them yeah and then they become out of stasis and so it's almost like this person mm. is having another mm. you know yeah type of life yeah you know and, and like KK so is saying there's some, there's that the, this guilt carryover that ends up becoming kind of a weird motivation yeah. in a way. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much, and thank you, too. And this is wonderful. Cookies, wine, books. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.